The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, I wonder how you uh, went uh, last week with uh, the challenge that, uh, that Mark gave us from, uh, from Ephesians 2 verses 1 through to 10. If you uh, weren't uh, able to join us or you might have had a bit, of a, a bit of a lapse of memory, the challenge was how could your life show the reality of your faith in Jesus? I mean, how did you go this week in showing Jesus' love to those around about you, particularly maybe even those who you would not ordinarily warm to? I uh, pray that uh, God has been able to you know, sort of use you in that way throughout this week. Perhaps uh, you took up the challenge of getting to know Jesus better through reading through the Gospel of John, like Mark suggested. And if that was you, then we'd certainly love to be able to hear from you this week. You can just send an email through to the office uh, or a text message through to Mark. I'm sure that uh, you know, we'd be delighted to hear how God is working in your life uh, through uh, this time. Look, we would also love to hear you know, any stories of where God is at work right now. Uh, just a time of stories of encouragement and uh, just uh, able to share with our church family so that we can uh, just see that uh, you know, during this time, you know, God is working in wonderful ways in people's lives. So just a reminder just to bring those, uh, you know, to email us through to the office if you, uh, if you have a story to share. Well, we're going to look in uh, the second half of Ephesians 2 this morning. So you might like to turn with me uh, in your scriptures to, uh, to Ephesians 2. <clears throat> We're going to be reading from verses 11 through to 22. So Ephesians 2, 11 through to 22, and the uh, words will be up on, the, uh, on your screens. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, you know, sadly today, it would appear that our world is characterized by an ever-increasing or ever-increasing examples of conflict and hostility. We see conflict between nations. We see civil conflict within nations. We see conflict in our cities, conflict in our homes, in our schools, even conflict within ourselves. And with all this conflict and hostility, it is having a dramatic effect on our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Levels of stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing today in societies. It's no wonder then that one of the greatest yearnings and the hearts of people in our world today is the need for peace, true and lasting peace. I mean, there's so much effort, isn't there, put into finding peace in our world. We see uh, uh, in countries where uh, there is conflict and war, we see peacekeeping forces that are placed in those countries. We hear of peace agreements and treaties done between, you know, set up between you know, opposing parties. We hear about peace conferences. We even celebrate peace prizes for those who have made it very much their life's work to, uh, to, to work tirelessly for peace around our world. And yet with all these efforts, what we see is, is in fact little progress in, in finding peace. Man on his own seems you know, just about powerless, if you like, to really change things for the better, especially for the long term. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, is real peace, true peace, just some pie in the sky stuff? Is it just a pipe dream? Well, our passage this morning reminds us that it certainly isn't if God is at the center of it. The passage we're looking at this morning highlights God's solution to conflict and hostility, and it centers around a person, that being person being Jesus Christ, and it centers around his ability to provide peace where others fail. The central truth of this passage, if you like, is this, that Jesus brings peace. He brings peace between man and God, and he brings peace between one another. We've already seen in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 that God's purpose, his plan, if you like, for all of creation is to bring all things together, to unite all things together under Christ. And in these verses in Ephesians 2, we see how God is going about accomplishing this. Paul begins with a, with a portrait of, of an alienated or a separated or a divided humanity. And after this, he shows how this particular division is healed or is restored in Christ. And finally, he speaks of a new community of peace, a community founded in Christ, characterized by holiness, love, unity, and of course, peace. So the first portrait that the, the Apostle Paul paints in this passage is one of an estranged or a divided humanity. We see that in verses 11 to 12. Paul begins by highlighting the dire situation of the Ephesian believers who are called Gentiles. 
It says, Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time you, speaking of the Ephesian believers, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Paul is, is making a clear distinction here between those who are Jews and everyone else who are called Gentiles. You know, that uh, we see that you know, prior to Christ's death and resurrection and, and to their coming to faith, these Ephesian believers were separated, or they were, they were in conflict, firstly, with the Jews. The Jews held them in complete contempt. I mean, the Jewish people in that day saw themselves as being superior to everyone else. And the reason they felt themselves superior was because they were the ones chosen especially by God for his special favour. And to be a Jew meant uh, you were circumcised. Circumcision was the, the covenant sign that this particular people belonged to God. God instituted this. You can read about that in, back in Genesis chapter 17, a little bit late when you get the chance a bit later on. Those uncircumcised, or the Gentiles, if you like, were looked down upon as heathen and inferior. That word uncircumcision was a derogatory term. It was a, a, a mean and horrible name refer, that the Jews used to refer to the Gentiles. A Jewish man, when he prayed each day, gave thanks to God for three things. He praised and thanked God that he was not a Gentile, that he was not a woman, and that he was not a slave. Gentiles were considered by Jews to be subhuman, fuel for the fires of hell is what they were called. And so there was a lot of animosity and hostility between Jew and Gentile. You know, the sad thing is, it's, you know, the, the Jews had lost sight of the fact that the reason God had actually chosen them was that they might be an example to the surrounding nations of what it looked like to live in relationship with God so that these nations, the Gentiles, might desire a relationship with God themselves. God would later make it clear that the, the true mark of his people would, wouldn't be an outward sign like, like a circumcision that is made by hands, but indeed it would be a spiritual one, a circumcision of the heart made by the Holy Spirit, by the transforming work of the Spirit in a person's life. Well, moving on from the derogatory way in which Jews treated Gentiles, Paul then goes on to point out just how hopeless and desperate their spiritual situation was in verse 12. And he highlights five things here in this verse that make clear how bad things were for them. He says that they were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no hope and they were without God in the world. Folks, this is a picture of an utter, complete, hopeless and desperate situation on the part of the Gentiles. They were outsiders, outsiders uh, when it came to the people of God and outsiders when it came to God and his blessing. But of course, you know, as we think about this, we're meant to see ourselves, our pre-Christian selves, before we came to faith in Christ, we're to see ourselves in the example of the Gentiles. 
For we ourselves were alienated from God and from his people. This is what Paul is saying to the Ephesian Christians here. Before you came to faith in Jesus, this was your situation. I know there's a, uh, if you're familiar with the movie Castaway um, with, uh, with Tom Hanks in it, but he's, you know, um, goes down in this plane crash in the middle of the Pacific somewhere and washes up on this, uh, this deserted island. And he's there for over four years on his own without any hope of rescue whatsoever. And the loneliness and the, the fear and the, uh, the depression slowly, you know, envelops him at times on that island. He was without any hope whatsoever. And this is a picture of what it was for us apart from God. This is what Paul is painting here, the picture of what the Ephesian Christians were like before they came to faith in Jesus. This isolation was because of their sinful state. And it resulted in us, it resulted in all people turning their backs on God. You know, despite the evidence available to us, which Paul reminds us about in Romans 1, where it says that, you know, through the creation, God's attribute, you know, some of his, his eternal attributes, his majesty and his glory can, can be seen. Even in the midst of that, we see that man has turned their backs on God despite that evidence. We turned instead to worship the created things rather than the creator. We've been in rebellion against God and we'd set and he had set his righteous judgment upon us. And so we were destined for eternal condemnation and suffering. This is the lot of the person separated out separated from Christ and without God. Also because of our sinfulness and sin in denying God and his ways we became not only hostile to him, but also hostile towards our fellow human beings. When you look back in the, uh, the early chapters of Genesis, you see when Adam and Eve you know, sinned against God and that, that relationship was broken, it also had a, 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 an impact in their relationship as well. They went away and hid from one another and animosity and, uh, and uh, separation started to creep in. And we see that continue to grow and in, in their children, Cain and Abel, where Cain actually killed Abel, we see that this breakdown in human relations. And we find that sin, therefore, is the great separator in this world. And if we are to have true and lasting peace, then first and foremost, our sin must be dealt with. You know, the, uh, the Ephesian uh, Christians, uh, you know, they, uh, they were very much separated from God, you know, from God before they came to faith. But having heard the gospel, they responded to him, to, to Christ in repentance and faith. And Paul has already gone through in, in uh, chapter 1 and the, the early part of chapter 2, reminding them afresh of their standing now in Christ and all of the blessings that are theirs. One of the things as I think about, you know, this, um, you know, this division between Jew and Gentile here, this animosity, it's, you know, we need to be reminded ourselves today, now that we have come to faith, we need to be reminded as God's people of the danger of becoming like the Jews in our own situations, in our, in our own attitudes and actions. See, God, as we, we heard, chose Israel to be a channel of his revelation and blessing to the rest of the world. But in the case of the Jews, we see that, that their self, in their self-righteousness, 
They, they looked down on others. They had this, pr- this, this pride about them. And they treated every other, everyone else with contempt. Not only that, but they also became obsessed with this outward religious kind of ritual rather than inward heart transformation, that growing in holiness and love for others. Instead of being different from the surrounding nations, they actually chose to be like them, practicing idolatry and immorality. And we see in the case of the Jews that they lost sight of God and his ways, and in so doing, they lost the ability to be a positive influence for God to the world around about them. And so we ourselves today, as, as, as Christ followers, as the people of God, we need to be careful ourselves not to become proud and self-righteous in our attitudes and actions. That we don't look down on others around us and see ourselves as being better than them. Nor should we allow our faith to be all about external stuff and outward ritual. But, but God is wanting to transform and change our hearts. And we need to be, to be constantly submitting, submitting and surrendering our lives to him, having the spirit work in us and mold us and shape us more into the image and the character of Christ. There is a danger for us as the people of God today also to become like the world. I put a, uh, shared a uh, Facebook post this week on the church Facebook site where it sort of said something along the lines of, you know, the, the church, when it is least like the world, is most beneficial to the world. And, of course, it, it goes the other way as well. When we're more like the world, we become less influential and help to the world in terms of what God has called us to be. The second portrait that Paul gives us here is of God's solution to this hatred and this animosity. It's a picture of reconciliation made possible through the peacemaking Christ. And we see that in verses 13 to 18 of the passage this morning. Verse 13 begins with the words, but now. And here we see a signal of a change in circumstances. Paul says, this is what it was like, but now. It's this, it's this same as the, the but God in, in, in verse 4 of chapter 2, where you know, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. But now, Paul says here in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This was accomplished, of course, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what that term, by his blood, means. It's pointing to his substitutionary death on the cross for our sin. And folks, this is the only means by which a person can be reconciled to God. It was through the death of Jesus, the death that he died in our place for our sins, As he bore our punishment on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to receive the forgiveness of God. And through repentance and faith, we avail ourselves of his wonderful and gracious salvation and and are brought into God's family. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says here in these verses that he, that is Jesus, Jesus is our peace. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He is the one, God, Jesus is the one who brings peace between us and God and our relationship with him because he removes the barrier. He removes that barrier of sin by dying for our sin. Not only that, it goes on to say that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he also brings both Jew and Gentile into his family as equals. It says in verse 14 here that he has made the two one. He has created in himself one new man, Paul says in verse 15. They become united humanity in Christ. So through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus not only reconciles us to the holy God on that, uh, that, uh, that vertical plane, but he also then brings peace on that horizontal plane by, by uniting us together in himself. All who have repented of their sin and who have put their faith in Jesus as saviour have all become one in him, joined together in Christ. No matter what colour they are, no matter what language they speak, no matter what church they attend, Jesus brings all who put their faith and trust in him, he brings us together as one in his body. And in this passage we see that Jesus unites both Jew and Gentile by breaking down a dividing wall of hostility and by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in its ordinances. We see that in verse 15. And what we're looking at here is a, a real kind of temple imagery. It would have been very um, real and, and, and very uh, you know, pertinent to the, to the people living in first century, particularly there in Jerusalem. And Paul's going to come back to this temple imagery a little bit later on in the passage. But in the Jewish temple, there was a physical wall that divided Jews and Gentiles. There was the, the temple, and then there was the court of the priests, and then there was the court of Israel where Jewish males were allowed to gather. And then outside that, there was uh, another court where the, the Jewish women could come. And then outside that again, and on a lower level, was this court of the Gentiles. And on the, uh, the, the wall all around the temple were these plaques that said, Foreigners. Those foreigners to, to Israel, those outside of the nation of Israel, were banned from entering anywhere closer to God in that place. And uh, they did so under threat of death. See, the Gentiles were prevented from coming near to God like the Jews were able to. And this separation not only was, uh, was represented by this physical wall, if you like, in the temple, but it was also represented by the various laws that govern the Jewish nation of how a person could be made holy in the sight of God. The Jews had food and dietary laws. They had laws surrounding ritual cleanliness and laws around sacrifice. And all these laws made a definite distinction between Jews and Gentiles. 
And as you read through the letter of Acts, you see as, as God goes about his mission of, of actually taking the gospel to the Gentile nations, and as people from the Gentile nations come to faith in Jesus, there's this huge big uh, council that happens in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 15, where they had this big debate as to whether or not they should allow these Gentile people into the, you know, into the Christian community, and whether or not they should obey the Jewish you know, laws and things like that and thankfully we see that through that the spirit worked and said that no that it was just through repentance and faith that a person could come to faith in Jesus Christ and could be very much brought near to God through his death and resurrection Jesus opened up this new way reconciles us to God and it's open to both Jew and Gentile alike on the same grounds of repentance and faith and this is the peace that Jesus preached to those who were far off and to those who are near. We read in verse 17, the same message of salvation to both. And it is the same message of salvation that we have to proclaim today to those who are far off and to those who are near, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, as we read through this, the warning that comes to me as we read through it is that, you know, as God's people today, you know, the danger for us can be that we can, can erect other barriers in the church, things that cause unnecessary division or that perhaps restrict people from even coming to faith or growing in their faith in Jesus. We can sometimes do this without even realizing it, but you know there are all kinds of things, aren't there, that can bring division in the church, barriers that we can put up. And over the years, as, you know, as I've spent time as a, as a believer in churches over the last 30 or so, 30 plus years, we've seen division brought about through uh, worship styles and music in the church. We've seen division brought about by views on particular uh, um, um, uh, non, uh, I guess um, non-essential doctrines like you know doctrines of end times and whether or not you're pre-millennial or amillennial or whatever you know there's been a you know unless you held to a particular view there you know that uh, that if you were at outside our camp then we didn't have anything to do with you and vice versa. We've seen it an insistence on you know certain Bible translations as being the only acceptable ones. We've seen it as well at uh, you know with um, with. Um, you know, people who even put up these kind of invisible social barriers, if you like, only associate with people like us, you know, people who kind of agree with us or who kind of look like us, who are kind of, you know, have the same kind of, you know, sort of um, um, social circles we move in and that sort of thing. We put up these barriers, we develop these cliques. We can even use, you know, things like in-jokes and stuff like that and all these things are actual barriers in the body of Christ. And because Jesus has broken down these dividing walls of hostility, we ourselves should also be seeking to break them down as well, not building new ones. Well, having been reconciled through Christ, Paul then goes on to give us a third portrait and that of God's new society, the church. And we see that in verses 19 to 22 of our passage this morning. And in these verses, Paul uses three metaphors to illustrate this new community of faith. The first is that of a new kingdom where he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. 
See, the Gentiles, as we read, used to be alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the commonwealth of God's people, but now they are included as fellow citizens in Christ, rightful members with exactly the same worth and exactly the same privileges. See, God's kingdom is neither limited by ethnicity, nor territorial borders, nor cultural borders, or anything like that. But that God's kingdom is the rule and reign in hearts and lives of individuals who have come to put their saving faith in Jesus as saviour. The second metaphor Paul uses is that of family, members of the household of God. You know, to belong to a kingdom is one thing, but, but to belong to a family is something that is far more intimate and beautiful and special. The emphasis here is on the, the brotherhood that believers share in as part of the family of God. And this brotherhood extends across racial barriers. It extends across social barriers. It extends across gender barriers, cultural barriers, economic barriers. This passage says that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And not only that, it implies a close relationship of love, of support, of care and concern and solidarity between one another. Of course, the defining characteristic of the family of God must be brotherly love, and not just within our church and amongst our people, but across God's worldwide church. And then the final metaphor that Paul uses is that of the temple. We are built, he says, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. It goes on to say that in him, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, a place where God's spirit dwells. You know, back in the Old Testament, we read how God had promised to dwell with his people. And he begins that, uh, you know, with, with the tabernacle there out, in the, out there in the, in the wilderness, there in the Old Testament. And then later on, when they settle there in, in the land of Canaan and settle in Jerusalem, the temple is built. And God, you know, uses, says that he will, he will dwell there with his people there in the temple. That will be the focus of his presence with his people. Of course... It would be the, the physical location, if you like, of God's presence here on earth. But the temple would be replaced then by Jesus. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He made his dwelling among us. God in human flesh, God with us. Colossians 2 verse 9 tells us that, that in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus became the focus of God's presence with his people. But now after Jesus ascended back into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell his people so that we would be God's representatives to the world. We see that in Ephesians 2.10, the good works which God had prepared beforehand for us is to be his representatives here on earth, to, to model Christ to those around about us. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 where he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. 
God making his appeal through us. Therefore, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we hear these wonderful words where we're reminded as a people of God, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That is the position of privilege. And then Peter follows it up with the responsibilities where he says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Folks, that is our mission. That is why we are here today on this earth, why God has left us here when we came to faith in Christ to be these people, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light. And as we read through this passage here in Ephesians 2, it reminds us that Jesus is the one on which the church is centred. He is the cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building provided the essential foundation on which all the other parts of the building sort of were built and on which they remained stable and true. The cornerstone was the stone that was put down. It was level. It was straight. It was perfect. And all of the other stones, as the other stones were added to build the building, all took reference from that cornerstone. So it all remained straight and true to that stone. It provided the building the essential foundation on which the remainder of the building was able to be built up and remain in that way, stable and true. Folks, Jesus brought the church into being and he is the one on which the church grows and maintains its unity and its strength. And Paul emphasizes this where he speaks about the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. He's referring here to the, to the sacred writings, the scriptures, if you like, and specifically the New Testament teachings that are the basis of our faith in Jesus and the basis of our, the, the practice of our faith. This faith, of course, derives from God and points to Christ. And so the reason, the, the thing we need to keep in mind always as the people of God is that the church stands or falls on its loyal dependence upon and its adherence to the truths which God has revealed in his inspired word. That is why we place such an emphasis on preaching and teaching the word of God from this pulpit and in our connect groups and in all the various ministries of our church because the church either stands or falls on Christ and on his word. There is, that's, that's the simple thing, folks. God has brought us into his family. He has brought us together and he indwells us by his spirit in order to accomplish his purposes in our world today to bring all things together under Christ. This is our mission. We're to be used by God in seeing his kingdom grow. We are to be people who preach peace to those who are far off, just as we once were, and to preach peace to those who are near, to be united together in the love of Christ and to demonstrate that same love to those around about us. 
The church today should be an example to all humanity of what it looks like to live in peace with God and with each other. And that unity comes from being united in Christ by faith. Folks, each and every one of us, no matter what generation we fall into, whether it be gen, the baby boomers, Gen Y, Gen X, millennials, whatever, whatever generation we find ourselves in, we must embrace the vital role that we have been given in fulfilling God's purposes in our world today. You know, our theme for this year as a church is to be faithful, together and bold for Christ. How will we do? How will we go about being these people this week? How will we go about being the uh, people who are indeed faithful to God and to His Word? How we will be the people who? How do? How will we, we? We we demonstrate the togetherness we have, even though we're separated at the moment. You know, across you know across our community. How will we demonstrate that togetherness? And how will we demonstrate that boldness? For Christ. Perhaps this week you might like to pray for the Spirit's help and ask God to help you to be both a channel of His peace, that is, being a peacemaker, tearing down those barriers which divide and separate, and instead look, be a people who seek to bring one another together. And pray that we might not only be channels of peace, but also proclaimers of peace, proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaimers that there can indeed be peace that is found in Christ. Peace between us and God and peace between one another. So I leave you with that challenge this week. So let's uh, pray and then we're going to uh, share together as we close our service this morning. Uh, The team will come back up in a minute and lead us in a time of song. But we're also going to be sharing communion together this morning. So I pray that you, I trust that you might have some elements there that you can share with us this morning. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we, as we reflect on this passage this morning, we, we see that, Lord, that uh, your purpose indeed is to bring all things, to unite all things together under Christ or in Christ, to bring peace between us and you and to bring peace between one another. Lord, we thank you for the peace, the, the, the work of peace that Jesus has wrought on our behalf, that through his death and resurrection, we indeed can have peace between us and yourselves, to know, Lord, that our sins are forgiven, to know that we are wonderfully accepted and, 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 and embraced by you, the holy and marvellous and glorious God. To know, Lord, a peace which, mean, which, which means that, Lord, we don't, need to, we don't have to be afraid of you, but instead, Lord, we can come before you with a boldness and a confidence, as, a fee, as, as the letter of Hebrews reminds us. But we also not only thank you for the peace that Jesus has brought between us and you, but we thank you for the peace which he has also brought on behalf of our fellow human beings. Lord, that we are brought together in Christ. 
And we pray that you would help us to, to model that peace, to model that, that togetherness, to model that unity in Christ. Father, help us this week not to build barriers, but indeed to be people who are, who are about what, you know, what Christ is, is, is about in this world, and that is tearing those barriers down and pointing others to the glory of God. Lord, help us to be these people because we can't do it on our own. We need the work of your Holy Spirit in us to accomplish this. And so we pray that you would help us this week to submit to the leading and the guidance of your Spirit. And Lord, that through, through us, you might reveal your majesty and your glory, Lord, in wonderful and amazing ways. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.